If you have ever let your body image, your physique, or your weight define your worth or who you are as an individual, this episode is for you. I sat down with my friend, Rebecca Kennedy. She is a certified personal trainer here in Orlando, and she and I really bonded over our shared experiences with orthorexia. If you don't know what orthorexia is, I explained it in the episode, but essentially it's an obsession with health and fitness that begins to take an unhealthy turn. We talk about the importance of balance between making time in your schedule for health, but not letting it take over your life because it ends up being harmful. We also both share our experiences that, well, I guess it's going to get a little bit personal about how we lost our menstrual cycles as a result of overtraining and undereating. So we really get into the dangerous side of restrictive eating and how these things can impact us as women in our reproductive health. I hope you guys find this information to be insightful, motivational, inspiring. And if you have any questions or want to talk more about any of the topics that we hit on in this episode, I have linked both me and Rebecca's contact information in the show notes below. We really want to make sure that you guys feel understood and feel empowered to make the right nutrition and fitness choices for you and help you find that beautiful balance between living a healthy lifestyle and not letting it define who you are and your self-worth. If you guys have any questions, again, please feel free to reach out. But for now, we're going to get into the episode and I will talk to you guys later. You're listening to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, where we firmly believe food should fuel your life, not restrict it. Each week, one of our registered dietitian nutritionists will motivate and educate you with accurate and reliable nutrition information to help you achieve your health goals using food. Whether you struggle with yo-yo dieting, weight loss, portion control, or simply just understanding the right eating patterns to get real, lasting results, you're in the right place. I'm Dietitian Kate, nutrition expert, ex-cardio bunny turned barbell junkie, and your host for today's episode. Are you ready to dive in? Welcome back to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, everybody. I apologize for sounding the way I sound. I've got a head cold. I'm stopped up. It's definitely not the best podcast host voice, but you got to do what you got to do sometimes. And luckily, I have a guest here today whose voice is like an angel. She does not sound (laughs) miserable like I do. So I'll let her do most of the talking, not only because she's got a lot of important, valuable things to say, but so that you don't have to listen to me (laughs) sound like I'm holding my nose while I'm talking. It is not good. It's not good. But anyway, this is my guest, Rebecca, and I'm going to let her introduce herself to you and tell her, tell you what she's all about. Hey guys, uh, my name is Rebecca Kennedy. I'm a certified personal trainer and corrective exercise specialist in the downtown Orlando area. Um, Many trainers grew up with an athletic background, uh, but mine was completely the opposite. Uh, For the majority of my life, I was obese or borderline obese, and I ate to cope with my emotions. And I was always the chubby girl in class and extremely inactive. 
Um, and it wasn't until my senior year of high school where I visited a real doctor, not a pediatrician. And uh, he essentially gave me a really stern talking and told me, if I continue down this road, I'm on the road to diabetes and heart failure and that I needed to change my life. Um, so it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and I decided to dip my toe into the health and fitness world. Uh, based off his recommendations, I started counting calories. And I just fell in love with learning more and growing more, challenging myself every day. Um, but at first, it was all about losing weight. Can I ask you something or can I just kind of point out something that I find really interesting? I feel like a lot of people assume that anybody who works in the fitness industry or the health industry, the food industry, were just naturally into exercise, naturally thin, (laughs) naturally fit. They just kind of assume that it's been smooth sailing for these people. But it's actually quite the opposite. A lot of us have come from backgrounds where we had our own struggles with body image or health or weight. And it sounds like you're no exception. You had to go to the doctor and and get a stern talking to before you really realized you had a passion for fitness and health. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I grew up always being very inactive and very um, against most exercise. I hated gym class. I hated everything. I I was the slowest kid. I was always the one that finished the mile last, you know, and so going into that field was something just completely different for me. Yeah, nobody expects that sometimes, but that's amazing. Okay, when you just mentioned gym class and the mile, I think I just got PTSD (laughs) throwbacks. Did you ever have to do the pacer test? I don't recall it. Okay, so at my school, I grew up in Missouri, so I don't know if it's not a Florida thing, but... I did this thing called the pacer test where there would be this beeping and you'd have to run from one side of the gymnasium to the other. And this is an elementary school. And every time the beeps would get closer and closer together. So you had less time to hit the line. And I remember the intensity and the anxiety I would feel before that pacer test or before having to run the timed mile because I didn't feel that I was as good or athletic as the other kids. And it automatically just made me assume like, oh, I'm not good at sports. Like, oh, I'm not physically fit because I couldn't meet the high expectations of the pacer test or running the mile. And I compared myself to other kids. And I always think I'm like, we are putting our kids through these intense exercise routines when they're young and it's making them have these preconceived notions about themselves, about fitness. Like when you say you were against exercise and was any of that stemmed from having being forced into physical activity in that gym setting oh definitely and i think just always being compared to other kids in the class and hell i have a twin sister too who grew up and she was always the naturally skinny one and i was the fat one so i was always you know called the fat ugly twin and you know i was always um you know, being the slowest one, it's in comparing yourself to the other classmates, it got really difficult. It kind of made me feel like my whole worth was based off of, you know, what how fast I could run or what I looked like. Yeah. Do you feel like when people would say those things to you being so young, that it kind of shaped how you saw yourself and shaped your identity throughout adulthood? Absolutely. Um, Because, I mean, from the ages of, like, 
8 to 18, I was the chubby girl. I was the overweight girl. I was the the big girl in the class. And so when I started to lose weight, um, I started to identify myself completely different. I had lost about 60 pounds and I started to identify myself as the health nut and the fitness freak. And I started to get on the other side of the unhealthy spectrum of just obsessing over being the fitness girl and having perfectly flat abs and toned thighs and I really got into the world of disordered eating because I just I wanted so bad to identify myself as someone different you know yeah I know exactly I feel like I had a very similar experience where I used my identity as a dietitian or dietetic student at the time to really push myself to do all of the things that embody what I believed was healthy living. And I always would resort back to, of course, I'm not going to skip my workout. Of course, I'm going to order the healthy entree because that's who I am. And this is what I stand for. And it all starts off with a great intention, right? But then, like you said, it sort of evolves into disordered eating. Or if you've ever heard the term orthorexia. Yes. Yes. So if listeners, if you don't know what orthorexia is, essentially, it's a it's a, I don't know if it's actually classified yet as a mental disorder, kind of like anorexia would be, but it's an obsession with just being healthy that becomes so encompassing in everything that you do that you can't focus on living and you can't focus on a task or you have extreme fear around doing anything that goes against what you see as healthy. So you couldn't have a cookie at a Christmas party without freaking out and obsessing over it or feeling like you have to go burn off those calories doing cardio. So it's a form of disordered eating. And I feel in my case, and it sounds like yours too, that once we started to get into health and fitness, it just sort of turned into this big monster that was resembled orthorexia. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when you're in that mindset, it's almost you'll do anything to continue to identify as that person. I I don't know about you, but I tried every crash diet out there. I would spend my whole nights just scrolling Pinterest, trying every single diet to lose those last 10 pounds. And, you know, if I was bloated for a day, I felt like I was this imposter that, you know, couldn't preach health and fitness onto anyone else. And it just, it completely absorbs your life. And um, that's why I love preaching now, just balanced lifestyle, showing that you don't have to make your whole life one extreme or the other. Yeah, we were talking before we started recording about how polarizing the health and fitness industry is. You feel like in order to be healthy, to be a role model, you have to fit a certain standard. And the way you fit that certain standard often involves restrictive eating and over-exercising and doing these things that are actually not healthy for you in the long run. When you were talking about how you had tried so many different crash diets and you would scroll Pinterest, I immediately remember thinking when I I would do the same thing about this pin I saw all the time that said, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. I mean, I think anybody who's gone on a diet has screenshotted that little image (laughs) and chanted it to herself while she's... Yes. You're like, don't eat the cake. I got to be skinny. That's got to taste better. Lies. It's such a lie. And I actually, I remember pinning that one dramatically. I remember, uh, oh my gosh, I used to, if 
you even scroll my Instagram now, you can almost see the transition of, I started out as like a weight loss page and then I just was like, I will do anything to lose that belly fat. And it was all these cringy posts about how, uh, such quotes like that about how like being skinny is the best thing you can be. And so when I started therapy, I realized that like how disordered my eating really was and how um, I guess my whole life was surrounded around what I ate and how much I exercised and I became really isolated for a while. If you could go back and tell yourself any advice, you know, during that time where you were going through all that disordered eating, what advice would you tell yourself? Oh man, that's a loaded question. Um, I think back about when I was going through similar things, and I've shared that story on this podcast before where I was obsessed with fitting what I thought a dietitian needed to look like and act like, and I wish I could go back and tell myself that I was doing more damage, not only to myself mentally, but physically as well. And I wish I could tell myself to give myself a little bit more forgiveness and more compassion and see my struggles from a different light instead of one of shame and regret and say, hey, Kate, you know, it's amazing that you want to be better. Everything you do should be pushing you to be a better person. But how does restricting your calories and being cranky and angry and revolving your whole entire life around such a selfish endeavor to be thin really help anybody else. It doesn't. Be Wanting to revolve your whole life around fitness and giving up things for the sake of being skinny is actually very selfish. And you can be healthy and find that balance and nourish yourself without having to do it in such a, I can't think of the word right now, but you know. Extreme. Extreme. Yeah. Extreme. That's the word. Extreme manner. Does that make sense? I, absolutely. I I feel like that's such a great point to, I wish I could tell my past self that my weight doesn't define who I am because I let it define who I was for my entire life. Like I, I always, you know, was, I was either the overweight girl or the fitness girl or, and I realized that I don't have to identify myself by my job or you know, my weight or how much activity I got in the day. Like I can define myself by all my other, you know, redeeming qualities. Like the fact that I can make a group exercise class fun or that I can, you know, make my friends laugh or that, I don't know. Like there's so many more um, things to enjoy out of life aside from, I guess, like, focusing on your weight. Yeah. So it sounds like you have reframed your identity to be, here's what I'm good at. Here are the tasks and the actions I do every single day that make me who I am. And they have nothing to do with physical or external appearance. There is no shame in wanting to lose weight and look a different way. I mean, that's just human nature. But if it becomes something that your entire life revolves around, it can actually be really counterproductive. It can actually keep you from achieving physique goals in the end because you're so obsessed with restricting and over-exercising that you end up overeating later and then feeling even worse mentally and physically and then not seeing change. And then you're just caught up in this restrictive pattern of, oh my gosh, how come I can't lose weight? I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I do all these things and then I binge and then I eat and then I feel guilty. And it can be just an internal battle with yourself over and over again if all you are thinking about is your weight. 
Absolutely. And Kate and I were talking about how it's okay to make it part of your life. I mean, living a healthy lifestyle has so many benefits. We love incorporating exercise and nutritious eating into our day just so we can physically feel better and feel confident in who we are. But we have transitioned that into making it a part of our life, not our entire life and our entire identity. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to, it shouldn't be your identity. It should be something that enhances your life. And there is a fine line, you know, you want to be healthy, right? And part of being healthy is feeding yourself nutritious foods, making time for exercise, making time for sleep, making time to care for yourself, you know, mentally, physically, all of those things. And a common side effect is that you're going to be a healthy weight, right? That's just sort of something that in most cases, there are exceptions, tends to be a positive side effect for people. So when it becomes an obsession, it can either go to either one of those extreme sides where you're under, you're underweight, you're too skinny, you're having negative side effects because you're undernourished, you're malnourished, or to the other extreme where you restrict for so long that eventually your body's metabolism adapts, it slows down, and as soon as you start eating normally and your willpower <laughs> fades away, you regain more weight than you even started at yeah. and then you, you're bouncing from extreme to extreme and there's just a lot of different mental side effects that go along with that absolutely and i think like these days like it's important or rather um it's easy to get lost in the health and fitness field and kind of wonder what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what what diet am I supposed to be doing? I am I supposed to be doing keto? Am I supposed to um, be working lifting five days a week? Am I like, what am I supposed to do? And I think it's important to realize that it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, a healthy lifestyle is going to be different for everybody. So it, it's more important to find what works for you because if you if it's something you can stick with, then that's what's going to last long term and that's ultimately how you're going to be successful yeah 100 percent. i always ask people when they come in here and they're like should i be doing keto should i be doing whatever it is i say okay first off where did you get that where'd you hear and i ask it much nicer i'm not like where'd you hear that (laughs) i'm like you know what what i'm curious like what makes you think that keto is going to be a good option and usually they saw it you know on social media they had a friend's cousin's sister who did it and then i asked them okay, sure, you can get results from that if you can sustain it. Because any diet, quote-unquote diet, can work if you're consistent and you do it long enough. Is this something you can see yourself doing six months from now, 12 months from now? And 99% of the time, the answer is, ha, huh, probably not. And then, like, <laughs> wonderful. Like that, that's <laughs> A+, plus. that's the right answer. I don't want you to feel like you have to be restricting your food for years on end. You know, how you eat and the diet that you choose... It's going to adapt over time, just depending on your food preferences, tolerances, your environment. But regardless of those external factors, it should be something that is sustainable for you, that makes you feel good, that's healthy, but doesn't make your life revolve around what's on your plate. Definitely. I like when you said that a healthy lifestyle is different for everyone. And I have found, I don't know if you experience this too as a personal trainer, but a lot of people, they come in here and I say, okay, what made you seek out help from a dietitian? And I'll get a very uh, surface level answer, like, I want to be healthy. And I'm like, what does healthy mean to you? And most people don't have a definitive answer of what healthy means. They just hear it. They're like, oh, well, it 
means uh and they pull something out of their butt which is yeah. fair enough right like they didn't expect right. to get to get grilled <laughs> and i you know but i always challenge people i'm like okay really sit down and think about your end goal think about the ideal version of you what does that look like what does that feel like if you find yourself writing down those generic words like healthy or fit okay expand on that what is fit mean to you does it mean being able to run a six minute mile or does it mean fitting into a certain size pants does healthy mean preventing chronic disease because it runs in your family or does it mean feeling a certain way or all of the above really get specific on what those goals look like what they feel like what they mean how they impact your life instead of just saying oh i want to be healthy because if you just have like a basic goal how do you work towards that if you don't have like a a narrow target to hit absolutely and i think like i love that you talked about how you feel with it and i think not enough people emphasize how they want to feel we talk about how we want to look in you know i want to have a six-pack i want to have toned thighs i want to um you know, whatever the goal is, but I feel like not enough people sit down and say, you know, I want to feel good about myself. I want to have more energy in the day. I want to feel less stressed when I go to work. And I feel like those are the redeeming qualities that are going to change your life. Mm -hmm. Um, compared to not that aesthetic goals are wrong in any way or that like they're incorrect. Um, I just think it's so important when a client comes in and they say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking to lose weight. I also ask, okay, so what what's a mental goal you have? Like, mm-hmm. do you, how do you want to feel during the day? And how is exercise going to change you aside from your appearance? Oh, totally. That's a brilliant question to ask people. And, you know, playing off of that, if somebody says, okay, I want to lose weight, especially if they are at an unhealthy body weight level, and it would benefit their health to drop body fat. I say, okay, what does losing weight mean for you? How is that going to change your life? And I was talking with the trainer yesterday on our last episode, and he was telling me a story about his uh, friend that he used to train with before he became a trainer, and she was morbidly obese. And for her, losing weight meant that she could do the day-to-day activities that everybody else takes for granted, like bending over to tie her shoe, being able to walk up a flight of stairs without breathing heavy. So what does losing weight mean for your overall life and how is that going to make you feel? If somebody comes in here and they're a healthy body weight and they want to change their body composition, we would take a different angle instead of saying, okay, you know, maybe you have five or 10 pounds that you ideally would like to lose. Fair. I'm not going to judge that because I feel the same way. But let's look at and see how do you want to feel? How can we structure your lifestyle, your exercise routines, your eating habits to make you feel how you would feel if you were five to 10 pounds lighter? And when I ask people, well, why do you want to lose weight? And they tell me something like they want to feel more confident or have more energy. Well, we can easily change their exercise and their eating habits to do that. And sometimes more often than not, weight loss is a result. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you gain muscle, and which is even better for most people. Right. And I, I feel like that's another thing people do as well is focus so much on the scale and how much it moves up and down. And I've had clients who have not, um, the scale hasn't moved at all, but they've lost, you know, so much body fat. I love when I have people come in and they tell me, I want to be 140 pounds. And I'm like, okay, what is it about 140 Oh, that's how much I weighed when I got married 15 Mm -hmm. years ago before I had three kids. 
And I'm like, okay, like fair enough. Like I can see the emotional attachment to that weight and maybe you'll be that weight again. Maybe you won't, but let's make sure that we have other goals that help you feel or help you track those positive changes that don't just revolve around the scale. And so doing things like measurements or going to get a DEXA scan to see body composition changes is so powerful. I can think of one client I have right now who was getting ready for her wedding and she lost a ton of weight initially because she had that extra weight to lose. It just kind of happened. But then she plateaued and she was feeling very frustrated because she wanted to be, I think, 150 pounds. And the scale kept hanging out for months and months and months at 157 to 160. And But throughout the whole time, she was getting her body composition tested. And every single time, every two or three months she was doing it, we saw that lean body mass number go up and we saw that body fat percentage go down. I mean, she had dropped nearly 10% of her body fat within a year. And I was like, this is amazing. And it just blew my mind because she still was like, yeah, but like 150, I want to be 150. And I was like, look at you. She was taking progress pics. She had all these numbers in front of her. And it's just that really opened my eyes to how impactful that scale weight is for us as a society. And I think we as millennial women and women in Gen X feel so, or maybe it's Gen Y, whatever, whatever is before millennials, how we feel so susceptible to the scale weight because when we were growing up that's what was just like impounded in our heads absolutely and I I don't I don't know about you but like I remember just like commercials all the time and of just like wanting to lose those last 10 pounds and I that's all I focused on you know you go in line at Publix and you see magazines where it's just like you can finally like lose 10 pounds in 10 days and um 10 pounds in 10 days it's like oh my god what's what's the magic pill like what do I gotta do you remove organs you surgically (laughs) (laughs) you cut off an arm boom 10 pounds gone right oh man well I mean you even think about what all those crash diets names are I mean Weight Watchers, for instance. I have mixed feelings about Weight Watchers. On one hand, I'm like, it's amazing because you get this group environment, support, you surround yourself by people who want to be better. Brilliant. But then when you look at the model, I have some a bone to pick, right? Why would you count points? What I was talking to one of my clients last night that used to do Weight Watchers, and she was telling me about how ridiculous the point system was for her because she would not eat all day to save up her points and then go crazy on crap food and wondered why she felt like crap all the time. She's like, well, you saw my points on pizza. And it's like, uh, yeah, like that's just disordered. And it puts such an emphasis on weight. It's in the name. It's Weight Watchers. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like, and I feel like that's what a lot of diets are is counting the numbers and like, you know, you're you're doing better and you're being quote unquote good if you make it within the numbers. But I... I think it's so important to start looking at food as nutritious and not nutritious instead of what's bad and what's good because we don't deserve to feel guilt when we're eating. Like eating is a natural part of living. It's all about removing the guilt from food. Like that was a game changer for me instead of just, you know, feeling like I had to reach a specific numerical goal. um, I started like focusing on different aspects of myself that was more rewarding to reach if that makes sense makes perfect sense you know what's really interesting about humans too is we love to think like oh we should be looking at the nutrients of food and we all agree like yeah this is amazing but 
a lot of us really like to see data and we like to put ourselves in boxes. I think it's just kind of human nature. We like to categorize things and track things with numbers and quantitative data rather than the qualitative data. And it's so hard to let go of that because we think, you know, if I'm not within these certain parameters, I'm failing. We have no form of measurement. And that's where we have to get strategic on how we're tracking with, you know, I like to have people track their mood and their energy using numerical values, because it still gives them like, hey, I'm feeling like an eight today. Let's reflect on what I ate. Why am I feeling like a number eight rather than a number six or 10? What could I do to be a 10 tomorrow? Or, or something like that. And just finding and getting creative with our strategies to evaluate how food impacts our overall being rather than just the scale weight. I love that. I, and I think like that's what makes it so easy sometimes to fall into that trap of mm-hmm. obsession is just wanting the numbers to be perfect and wanting everything to be perfect because if I get these numbers perfect, it'll result in a perfect body. And I have kind of preached the same thing to my clients instead of worrying so much about maybe the number on the scale like how much weight did you lift today like Mm -hmm. what when you woke up this morning how did you feel like um what progress have we made when it comes to our our movement um you know you couldn't lunge when i first uh was working out with you and now your balance and coordination skyrocketed so it's it's so great to see um different ways of progress and kind of i think that's this really smart idea to put it in a numerical value so you can still kind of get that satisfaction of feeling measured but not in a obsessive uh, unhealthy way I think it's so beneficial for anybody who identifies themselves as a type A individual. (laughs) I get a lot of type A people in here because they're always really, not always, but like a lot of type A people, they want to, they come in, they have their binders full of their past weights, their meals, their macros. They lay it out in front of me. I'm like, this is wonderful. This is great data. It actually does really help me. But at the end of the day, we break it down and a lot of them want to just be kind of free from this obsessive eating. But the idea of just going out into the world eating intuitively or mindfully, because I won't even get into you know intuitive eating, but eating mindfully without having something to track makes them anxious. Yes. And then it makes them resort back to their old ways, even though they know those old ways don't work. So if we can give people some sort of numerical way to track their progress that does not involve the scale weight, because the scale weight means nothing, okay? It's literally just a pull of gravity of your body mass that changes by the hour. And it doesn't upset, it does not. That's so true. Right? And then another thing too, with, with calories, I see a lot of people come in with their fitness watches. I bet you get this a lot too. They oh, look yes. at their fitness watches are like, I burned 747 calories. It's like, did you really though? Like those things probably aren't that accurate. Right. And that doesn't mean you should go and eat an extra 747 (laughs) calories a day because you don't even know how accurate that is. Right. Exactly. And it's not just an exercise shouldn't be all about the calories you're burning. I like to, I, I wonder if you have to explain this a lot with people when it comes to strength training, because when people are using these fitness watches and they get on their exercise bike and they just go for 30 minutes on the exercise bike and they look at their watch and they're like 350 calories, right? Okay, that's great. And then they do a 45 minute strength training and they look at their watch and it doesn't have nearly as many calories burned. Right. And you have to explain to them like, no, 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 you're actually doing your your metabolism a big fat favor here by strength training absolutely and i always have to explain that strength training like that builds muscle and you're 
having muscle like it burns more calories at rest so if you have lean muscle then just you're burning more and more calories because of your metabolism boost so it's more about that long-term effect if you're not looking for like an instant release like of this is how many calories I burn like you're looking for hey I want to change my body composition or I want to feel stronger and um it's all about lifting weights and the scale might not depict that, uh, but it is high, it's so beneficial. And I see so many women, especially being so afraid to lift heavy and, you know, I don't want to be a bulk, bulky man. And uh, it's like, um, I have to explain so often that lifting is so good for you and that like, it's, it's nearly impossible because we don't have that level of testosterone to, you know, bulk up like that. So it's, it's so beneficial for just your health and your metabolism and your well-being. Yeah. You're literally building yourself into be a fat burning machine is how I like to say it. Oh, I love, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Cause when you can reframe it and say, oh, if you build lean muscle mass, you burn fat at rest, even if the scale doesn't reflect that. And at the end of the day, that's what most people, you know, with the exception of people who are trying to gain mass, most weight loss clients are trying to burn fat. They're not trying to burn muscle mass. So when you can explain the physiology behind, oh, here's how muscle growth impacts your metabolism and doesn't impact the scale as dramatically as you expect, that can be motivating. But it's something that I know you probably have to reiterate over and over again to clients. So what are some of the myths about strength training that you often have to bust, especially to women? I know you said one is getting bulky. I think especially that you don't need to be doing like so much cardio to be losing weight. Um, I actually have a lot of my clients, if they would like to do their cardio, I have them do interval cardio because that, you know, high intensity interval training, that's going to burn a lot more and it's going to help you keep your lean um, muscle on and burn fat and that only takes like 15 to 20 minutes of your day like you don't have to sit on a elliptical or bike for over an hour which I can admit I did before you know when I first started losing weight like I didn't know what I was doing so I would take uh long walks i i mean i was even too embarrassed to go to the gym so i would play like uh this video game on my wii and i would take like the wii remotes and it was called Exerbeat, and i would do like kickboxing and um hip-hop cardio like in my living room um and that helped me i mean lose weight as well and I feel like a lot of people don't get started because they're so intimidated by where to start. And it's like, you don't have to start with everything being perfect. You just have to start with like one small thing in the right direction and keep moving forward and keep, you know, um, dedicating yourself to learning more about your body. For sure. So if somebody's hearing this and they heard you talk about doing those interval workouts and they want to get started, what is the what is an interval workout that you would recommend to a newbie? Oh, man. Um, I love high-intensity interval training. Um, I There's so many fun workouts on YouTube um, that 
basically take only 15 minutes of your day and can be done like in your living room. I've actually made workout videos on my YouTube channel, Redemptive Rebecca, going to plug myself. Um, Please. And you have a, you have stuff on your Instagram too, which is also Redemptive Rebecca, right? Yes. And um, I, I love showing people that essentially interval working out is um, going hard for like a certain amount of time and then resting for a short period of time. So that spike and drop in heart rate constantly is what gets you burning fat. Um, so there's several ones on YouTube and um, even just going on a Stairmaster or an elliptical and going hard for maybe like 30 seconds and then resting for 30 seconds. Like that's a great way to get your heart rate up. Yeah. You, so you, you go balls to the wall, <laughs> yeah. right? You go hard and then you chill, you get your heart rate down and you go hard again. Yeah. It sounds like it feels pretty badass too. Like afterwards it, again, like your body fatigues really fast. So it only takes about 15 minutes. I always do it after I lift or on a separate day and that way you don't have to be on the elliptical or the bike or whatever your choice of cardio machine. You don't have to sit on there for over an hour and count down the minutes and do the steady state because ultimately you'll probably burn more with the interval training. Right. Don't you burn calories for up to 48 to 72 hours afterward? Ain't nobody got time to be on a treadmill (laughs) burning calories. I I think I heard an analogy once that's like clocking into work. If you're on the treadmill, it's like you clock in and then when you get off the treadmill, you clock out because you're just burning calories or making money during that time period. Whereas doing HIIT training and weight training, it's like making commission. Like you put in this hard work for 15, 20 minutes and then you just get to reap the benefits for days. I am using that. I love that yeah, girl. <laughs> so much. You know what else I love about strength training and HIT is that you get to eat more. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm working with this one guy right now, and it's awesome because he's dropping weight, and he's doing a lot of circuit training, and he's doing weight training. And before, he was doing all of those things and steady state cardio. And he was like, I am hungry cognitively. I'm like crashing if I don't have sugar. We just nixed those extra cardio sessions and he doesn't have nearly as intense cravings as he did before. He feels like his mental clarity is improved and he's still losing weight. And he's like, I was just, you know, doing these cardio machines because I thought that's what you had to do to lose weight. And it's like, no. No, it's crazy how... Overexercising can be just as damaging as under exercise under exercising like just you know living a sedentary lifestyle i always you know especially after the doctor i thought that was the most dangerous way to live and then going to the other extreme where i would bike four miles to the gym, spend an hour on the cardio machine, spend an hour and a half lifting, bike back home, and then go swimming in my parents' pool for over an hour, like every single day. I, and I had, I had one of those watches too. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to add a thousand calories. Yeah. I have to burn a thousand calories because I'm only going to eat a thousand calories. And I just always felt like that was living a healthy lifestyle. And so it's incredible to me how much healthier, better, um, I guess how much better I feel when I'm exercising much less, you know, I'm not nearly as, I was always irritable. I lost my period. My hair was falling out. Like I, I really thank my parents and my boyfriend who is now my husband for dealing with me at the time because I was just so, 
I was irritable constantly. Um, hangry. Hangry. It was like I was in a constant state of hanger, which like... Eat a Snickers, Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, I needed one. <laughs> well, okay. So you said something else that I want to uh, highlight too. You lost your period. And yes. I, I have the same thing. I was over-exercising, under-eating. And I didn't even really feel like I was under-eating. Yeah. But compared to how much intense exercise I was doing... I lost my period and it wasn't until I cut back that I was really able to get my cycle back. And I shared my story on YouTube about this and I get questions about it all of the time. So I kind of want to talk about that for a little bit if you're okay with that. Absolutely. So this is an important thing to educate women about and I think there's more and more awareness about it. But the human body takes a lot of energy to go through the reproductive cycle. So having a period and ovulating, men, I'm sorry if you're squirmish, but this is, it's got to be talked about. It takes a lot of calories to do that. This is why a lot of women notice they're hungrier right before their menstrual cycle. And they feel bad for giving in to cravings when really they shouldn't feel bad. Their body's using that extra fuel. And if you aren't giving your body enough calories to have a reproductive cycle, it's going to shut that whole system down because you don't need a re- reproductive cycle to survive. I mean, the human race does, right? But you as an individual does not. So your body's going to expend that energy other places, you know, breathing, digestion, all of the vital things to keep you alive because at the end of the day, that's what your body cares about. It doesn't care if you're skinny. Right. It doesn't care if you're fit. <laughs> if you're happy in the skin you're in. No, it doesn't <laughs> give a crap. All it cares about is if you are alive. So if you do not have a menstrual cycle, that is a huge red flag, like the biggest red flag that you could possibly have that you need to eat more and or exercise less. And for some people, that means taking a complete break from exercise, maybe switching from intense exercise to restorative exercise like yoga or slow walking and eating more. A lot of times it's eating more. For you, how did you overcome that obstacle? How were you able to get your cycle back? TMI. (laughs) Um, It's funny because when they, I went to the doctor, um, you know, of course, pregnancy tests, all of that, not pregnant. And I was like, woo. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) so once I found that out, woo. But um, when they told me like, hey, it's, I I think think it's because you're underweight uh, now. And they were the same people that told me I was overweight. And so my initial reaction was getting so mad at them. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you told me to lose weight. Uh, your girl lost weight. And now I, you're telling me I have to gain weight and take a break from exercise. I was so mad and I was so scared because I just, I didn't know where to go. Um, and I think I really, like, after that started to uh, feel really depressed and I decided based off a friend's recommendation to start therapy. And that's when I really, um, that's actually really what opened up to learning how to live more of a balanced lifestyle and learning how to not obsess over exercise. And that's when I really started to uh, learn that my cycle was important and that uh, my health is important. And um, started practicing affirmations of self-acceptance, self-love, um, and I focused, I guess, less on obsessively exercising every day and more of what I could do for my body. 
Um, and so I think therapy was probably one of the biggest tools to help me um, with overcoming that obstacle because it also helped me get kind of that anger out. I was always, I was angry because I was always that, you know, made fun of for being the chubby kid. And now that I finally identified myself as someone new, then they were asking me to, you know, not do that anymore. And so it helped me kind of connect the dots in a way that I can, um, that can be in healthy yeah. way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it kind of, it showed you like, hey, I was at two extremes. I need to meet myself halfway. And it wasn't until you lost your cycle and had to face that challenge that you realized like, oh, this was, this is too much. Right. And that it, what, what I was doing wasn't healthy. It wasn't me being a health nut. It was me being obsessive. It was almost like harder to hear that than it was to hear that I was overweight because at least I, I knew I was overweight. Like I knew that I would, you know, I was made fun of a lot, but when I was underweight, I was like, no, like I still need to lose 10 pounds. So getting out of that and learning um, new coping mechanisms, a uh, definite game changer. Yeah, game changer. Speaking of game changer, <laughs> documentary. <laughs> you can't say that anymore. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but, but really, if you're listening to this and you maybe have lost your cycle or you're having really irregular cycles, I want you to talk to your doctor about hypothalamic amenorrhea, which happens to a lot of women who overexercise and undereat. It happens to a lot of extreme athletes. It talks that one Nike athlete that came out. I mean, when you are expending so much energy that you don't have a period, that's a bad sign and it's a wake up call. And a lot of doctors, I know for me, because I didn't fit the exact mold of being like a size zero, like looking extremely thin, that it's not as obvious to physicians that that could be the issue. And they might be, you know, I had a doctor tell me, well, you don't have polycystic ovary syndrome, you don't have amenorrhea. you're just, this might just be who you are. And I was like a 24-year-old at the time, I'm like, with no menstrual cycle, like, that's just not acceptable to me, I didn't accept that as the truth. And I, my point about this whole thing is, just because you don't fit the typical persona of someone who's underweight, you don't look anorexic, you don't look like you need to eat a cheeseburger doesn't mean that you are fueling for your body, right? I mean, the body is very complex. Body fat storage is very complex. Metabolism is really, really variable on lots of different things. So if you don't have your menstrual cycle, you need to go to a doctor and and talk to a doctor that specializes in those things. Because I know I made the mistake of spending over $1,000 out of pocket trying to go to different specialists who really did not specialize in in amenorrhea. Absolutely. And I I felt in a similar way, it was almost like you, oh, you, you may be a little underweight, but that's probably not your issue. Like they, at at first were trying to give me hormone pills and they were like, okay, you could get your period by just taking hormone pills. It'll force you to gain weight. And when I didn't want to do that, it was really when I just started therapy because I'm like, I'm lost. I I feel like I have no mental clarity. Where do I go from here? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't. Yeah, that's. Thank you for sharing all that stuff with me. I know we didn't plan on talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, a lot of times we have like a, a very blank template. We're like, okay, we're going to hit on these points. This is the gist and things just kind of go into a different direction, but we would be happy to answer anybody's questions or address concerns about 
you know, amenorrhea due to overexercise and undereating. My advice for anybody who's experiencing that is A, to go see a doctor or a specialist, but look at what you're eating and what your daily activity is like and learn where can you eat more whole foods? Where can you add more calories in from nutritious sources that don't make you feel nervous? Typically, I notice a lot of the women that come in who need to be eating more food, they need to be eating more good carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates from whole food and fats because fats synthesize hormones. You can't make hormones without fat. And they have been following these bodybuilding diets that are chicken, broccoli, rice that virtually have no fats in them. And while their intention was good, they are missing those fundamental building blocks to create their hormones to induce a cycle or period. They often have other side effects like cold fingers, cold feet, they might be losing hair, cracked nails, all these other signs that their body does not have enough nutrition. So adding more calories from fats and carbohydrates really, really help. And then cutting back on intense exercise and finding a balance on, okay, when can I rest? When can I move my body in ways that don't stress me out? Yes. And I think that's so important that you said rest. And I think not enough people, um, I think rest is so underrated. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, we thrive off of not having enough sleep and overworking ourselves in every which way. Um, So I like to tell my clients that your results happen while you are sleeping, while you are resting, like you are, you know, when we work out, we are literally tearing our muscles. So when you are resting and recovering, as taking time to rebuild everything and to build like who, what your body wants to look like or rather who you want to be and so when you're resting it's just as important as it is when you're working out so overworking yourself is not the way to go Mm -mm. agreed I love that it gives you such a nice visual when you're exercising you're breaking down you're literally Mm -hmm. catabolic so the 23 hours you're not exercising is when you're healing and repairing and I also feel like it's a cultural thing like Americans we are work hard grind get to it and we never really give our chance ourselves a chance to rest and recover because we go to our workouts and we go to our stressful job and then a lot of times our household is stressful our personal life stressful and we're constantly breaking down in different ways that when we start piling on a bunch of intensive exercise on top of day-to-day stress we never give ourselves a chance to just relax restore ourselves reduce that inflammation and stress relief and rest are an integral part of wellness and health. Absolutely. So we're going to start wrapping this bad boy up. We have been going on and on. I feel like you and I could talk about this for days, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> but I want to ask you one last question for people just to kind of help tie the ends and give them something really juicy to chew on throughout the rest of the day. What do you think a healthy lifestyle looks like for you? And what is one thing somebody can start doing to be more healthy based on that, based on your idea of what a healthy lifestyle is? A healthy lifestyle for me is finding fun through exercise. It's finding, um, I guess a loaded question yeah Um, I hit you with a hard one right (laughs) um I guess a healthy lifestyle for me is finding balance it's sounds like a balance of like hard work and fun it is it it's it's like um 
it's learning how to find what works best for you. Um, I think everybody works differently and um, I love showing clients that exercise can be fun and exciting and it doesn't have to be this dreadful thing that we are not looking forward to all day long. Um, you can make exercise into a game. You can make it into your stress reliever. You can really transform it into something that is going to change your life. Um, and I think just living a healthy lifestyle is finding the balance between, um, I guess, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm ranting. No, like, but it's making perfect sense. You're saying, to me, this is what I'm interpreting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's how can you find a form of movement and life that is, you know, it's a little bit of discipline because sometimes it's hard to get started and it's hard to get out of bed and do these things, but how can you find things that fit your interests that make it fun that once you show up to the workout or once you show up for yourself in whatever manner that looks like it's something that you enjoy and makes you feel fulfilled absolutely absolutely and i, th I think it's all about finding <laughs> balance like it's um learning that you don't have to go to extremes um staying committed to something that really works for you um I used to go into group exercise classes and make it a complete game. I would make it a Monopoly board and make it around the room to, or make it a card game or um, just make it a throwback Thursday and play Backstreet Boys like the whole time. And I think it's so important that people find what works best for them. Agreed. Agreed. Well, that was, that's amazing advice. Find what works for you. Don't go to two extremes because that's just going to burn you out and make you hate it. It should be something <laughs> that you enjoy and that you love. So Rebecca, I know you said that you're on YouTube as Redemptive Rebecca and you're on Instagram. Where's the best place to contact you? Probably through Instagram, email, redemptiverebecca at gmail.com. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm Redemptive Rebecca about everywhere across the board. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. the consistency. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to reach out to me or Rebecca if you have any questions about the things we talked about on today's episode. I know we got deep and heavy and we were all over the place, but that's how mama likes it. So <laughs> thank you so much, Rebecca, for being here. Thank you, Kate. Bye, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. For topic requests or to apply to be a featured guest, please email kate at orlandodietitian.com. Want more nutrition awareness? Check out our blog for recipes, nutrition tips and tricks, as well as product recommendations. Our website is www.orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. This has been Dietitian Kate, and until next time, keep it real and keep it healthy.